1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Pick a Flick. I'm Dave Bond, normally from the uh, <laughs> Do You Expect Us to Talk podcast, but as Tony Black has decided to play Russian roulette with the Future is podcast here, he's put me in charge. So, tonight with me, I have with me, first of all, Stacey Taylor from Pop Culture's Parlour.
2: Hello. Dears. I don't know why I put on an accent there because I don't know
1: why you put on an accent. Where are you from?
2: Uh, I'm from. Can you not tell? I'm from Birmingham.
1: (laughs) Well, I gathered that, but I just thought you know, whereabouts in Birmingham?
2: Um, I'm actually from like the South of Posher part, but um, South of Posher
1: part because yeah, but my hubby.
2: (laughs) Well, my hubby and um, his family are all from like Wensbury, which is why I've got a bit of a Black Country twang.
1: That's why I didn't know because they are (laughs) they are different, and I lived in Birmingham once upon a time. So, joining her is Lee Grice. Hello. And how are you, sir?
3: I'm well, thank you very much.
1: So, without further ado, shall we go straight into it, folks, and see how we do? Let's. (laughs) Okay. So, without further ado, let's pick a flick. First choice this week comes from at Zach Lockwood 96 on Twitter. Uh, he's nominated Frank, which is a 2014 comedy drama directed by Lenny Abr- Abrahamson and starring Michael Fassbender as the title character, along with Donald Gleason, Maggie Gyllenhaal, and Scoot McNary. Now, <laughs> are either of you uh, aware of the 1980s comedy character Frank Sidebottom?
2: Only in as much as I'm terrified of his big paper-mache head.
1: Yeah. Now, this (laughs) film seemed to be based on it, and then it bore no relation to it apart from the... um,
2: Big paper-mache head. Apart
1: from the paper-mache head. So, just to tell a little bit, uh, tell, tell listeners a little bit about this film. It's uh, it's basically Donald uh, Gleason's character yes. joining yeah. a band at a retreat led by the enigmatic Frank character, <laughs> who never released never shows his face at all, and is commonly regarded by everyone around him as a yeah. genius. And every time we hear any music from this band, they're not really, are they? Let's hear a clip. I'm Frank. I'm John.
4: Does he still? No. He has relationships with real women now. But it's hard, you know? He has to convince him to lie completely still, so, you know. <laughs> hey. Don't tell Don I, I said anything. He no. might think it a shameful secret. I say tell everyone everything. Why cover anything up, right? Can I ask you something? Sure. Why do you wear that? You think it's weird? Kind of. Well, normal faces are weird too, you know. The way they're smooth, smooth, smooth. And then... You know, all bumpy and holes. I mean, what are eyes like? It's like a science fiction movie. Don't get me started on lips. It's like the edges of a very serious wound. That's true. <laughs> but your head is still sort of intimidating. Well, underneath, I'm giving you a welcoming smile. Would it help if I said my facial expressions out loud? Well, maybe. Welcoming smile. Frank. You've been up all night talking to the
0: keyboard player.
4: I'm not just a keyboard player. I write songs too. You write your own songs. Mm-hmm. I'd love to play some for you sometime. I really like that. Big non-threatening grin.
1: Delighted look. Okay, so that was <laughs> that was Frank. What did you guys make of it, Stacy?
2: Well, I absolutely, Ruddy, adore this movie. Like, I love its tits right off. I saw this movie not really knowing anything about Frank Sidebottom, except that he's scary, Uh, (laughs) because I'm a giant wuss. And so I thought this was a documentary at first when I went into it. And we got about, we got as far as them going to the retreat before I was like, Rich, this is, that's my husband, by the way. Uh, I was like, Rich, uh, this is weird. And also, um, these people seem like sort of horrible. And I, I don't know if I want to watch the rest of this. And he was like, you know, it's not really about, Frank Sidebottom though, yeah? And I was like, of course I didn't know that. And now that I do know that, I totally enjoyed the rest of the movie because I thought it was just a film, uh, a really sad film about some mental people trying to do a music.
1: Well, (laughs) well, it kind kind of is.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but I think when you realise that those people aren't real, because the thing about this is that it's a really difficult movie to try and sing the praises of, even though I loved it so much. Because almost every character is unlikable, and like you say, I mean, I really love the music in it. Actually, I, I kind of uh, uh, immediately just devoured the soundtrack. But um, it's uh, it's it's a difficult one to to talk about if you think it's real people, because you just think, well, this is a like this is an actual bunch of arseholes and I don't I don't care. <laughs> but once I realised that they weren't real people, and this was basically a massive work of fiction I think it has a lot to offer in terms of um it asks a lot of questions about sort of the nature of mental health and the potential links to creativity and you know whether it's healthy for people with fairly obvious issues to be in a group together and what it says about someone else trying to go in and and change everything and because that's essentially what Donald Gleeson's character does he goes in and he tries to he tries to make the band what he wants it to be, which is like
1: you've hit on you've hit on something quite interesting there. The, the, one of the things I thought watching it this time, I did see it on release, so what's that? A couple of years ago now. So, but certainly this this sort of cliche about the thin line between madness and genius, and mm-hmm. I, and I think this film kind of stomps all over that. We 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 do believe that we're seeing somebody who is something of a genius. Uh, but because there's this sort of slight veneer of madness that everyone lives with because of the sheer quality of what he does. And it's only really on second viewing, when you listen to everything they're coming out with again, that it's all pretty crap. (laughs) 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 That he is just mad. And the growing interest in what they're doing is simply car crash TV. That's what it is. It's nothing to do with supposed genius. Lee, what did you make of this? I hated it.
3: (laughs) I thought oh, it sucked it was <laughs> i was kind of traumatized because i know stacy liked it and when she asked me to come on and, and, and watch it she said but this is this is a really this is really good you'll enjoy this so i'm like oh okay then and i and i remember frank sidebottom from from the 80s like when he was on because he used to appear on like kids tvs lot like this Saturday morning tea, yes, I remember. and late night channel
1: voice was very um voice was very George Formby,
3: yeah, he had this like nasal nasal high pitch voice like from Manchester, that kind of thing, uh, which brings me uh, leaping slightly ahead because in the film frank's an American, so i didn't even realize Frank was speaking for a good ten minutes, <laughs> so, so I was kind of confused about who was speaking because I was waiting for the high pitch nasal you know, Frank Seidman voice. So I assumed it was the, 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 the other guy, the, was it, was he their manager or, or something? I thought, so, but anyway, I was just really confused about who we speak. And then I, uh,
1: the guy who ended up killing himself, Scoop, Scoop McNary's character. Yeah.
3: That's it. Yeah. Well, so it, it became obvious. obvious. He's, manager, He's one
1: of the bands. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So it was, so I was really thrown and I was just, I was, just, <laughs> I, 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 I knew nothing about it, to be honest. Uh, all I knew about it was back when it was first announced to be made, it kind of news broke, they're doing a Frank Sidebottom movie and Michael Fassbender's playing Frank Sidebottom. And I was like, well, that incredible casting. That's just phenomenal. If yeah. if he's assuming he's <laughs> going to be Frank Sidebottom. Yeah. I figured it was either going to be a bi- Samuel L. Jackson, or,
1: Jackson is zippy. <laughs> yes.
3: <yeah. laughs> yeah. so, I seemed to biopic, I guess, you know, um, and was just completely lost from the get-go because I thought, oh, yeah, because it started off, and I assumed it was going to be set in like the seventies, I guess, um and then you've got like Donald Gleeson's character on Twitter, so I thought, well, this can't be right um so I was kind of waiting for a flashback or or something, and I was literally just lost, and it, i I was just having like a horrible almost like a breakdown <laughs> partway through the phone going to- talking to myself <laughs> <laughs> going I, I don't.
1: I, yeah. I, I was prepared for it because obviously I, I saw it. I, I saw the sort of build up to its release. It was for such a small film. It, it seemed it must have had a reasonably comfortable uh, budget in terms of uh, promotion because I saw the trailers everywhere before it came out. Which normally has um, the bit where he's singing his most relatable song ever, or whatever the word <laughs> for that is. Oh, I
2: love uh, that. Which, song. which ends
1: with him sort of spinning and farting. Um, and and so I kind of knew it wasn't really Frank Sidebottom. Uh, I heard it was Michael Fassbender. I knew Dom Gleeson would be sort of our surrogate in the film, mm-hmm. the sort of viewer viewer surrogate. So I went in fairly ready for what I was going to see. If anything, the, the hardest thing for me in this film was the sort of, um, was the last third, because... Mm-hmm. The film is tonally all over the place. For two thirds, I was I really loved it. You know, the <laughs> the family who turn up at the sh- the retreat, and he's he's in, he's sort of <laughs> he's dancing with the mother in the um in the field and stuff like that. He's just obviously effortlessly charming, and it it sort of adds to this whole surreal quality that disappears in the last third as you learn that he was entirely mentally ill and cannot cope with the stress of being put in front of the world.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think... See, I don't... I'm really struggling now, because I didn't... I feel like I watched an entirely different film. I think I think the whole t- first two-thirds of the movie were building up to... The the last third. And I think the reason why I love the film so much is because for days afterwards I was thinking about it and I was, like, farting about on Reddit and stuff trying to figure out what everybody else thought about it because it's one of those films that, for me, it gave me so much to think about and I was really unsure whether I'd even got what I was supposed to get out of it. And after faffing on the internet, I realised that pretty much there's, like, a bazillion different ways you can read this movie and, and none of them are wrong. But I think... I think it's difficult to watch or it was for me at least because I I do have min- very minor mental health issues um and sort of watching the extent to which some people's mental health can affect their lives in general and the fact that they all found each other um and Dominal Gleeson almost destroyed it all for them like oh it just broke my heart and everything about that last third was just like oh god I'm just I was just so in love with the whole movie I think Fassbender was mesmerising in the very few scenes you see him without his head, without his massive head. <laughs>
3: yeah, he was. He was... Uh, no, and no, I, that's I, an acting talent to take um, your head off.
1: Well, yeah, to, uh, shame jokes going round my head as we speak. Um, but uh, <laughs> The thing with it was, is when they meet his parents, uh, you are expecting that payoff of tragic childhood and everything else. No, not at all he just he developed a fascination with masks it was indulged by his parents he had a happy enough childhood and slowly this this sort of mental health condition developed and as i say we're we're building up to this payoff to the thin line between madness and genius and it actually turns out yes he has some musical talent but his mental health has destroyed it his mental health has got completely in the way of of whatever it was he could have achieved,
3: but I, I don't know. So this is this is the thing where I come from. I didn't even buy the genius part. I did. I didn't get that that it was. I mean, I think the film is it, a very much like a, a cinema trope in that it you know it's it's the typical band movie. You know, the rise and fall. You know, it's the commitments and the doors and all that kind of stuff. Where you have got the the enigmatic front man, the talent and you know, it, you see the beginning of their rise and it all kind of falls apart at the end. But I didn't buy the... I never really bought the, the whole... the genius part of it. I didn't get that was coming over.
1: I think the only... I, I, yeah, I, I think on second viewing, you're absolutely right. On first viewing, actually, they don't play you a lot of music. You hmm. don't hear a lot. You hear bits and pieces, which is them sort of noodling around and like being, you know... In, Again, the sort of creativity, you know, that comes out of madness sort of thing. Well, they're doing some odd stuff, but who knows what they'll come out with. And the only time you hear sort of any lengthy bits really are, apart from on stage at the start, and we're, our, our attention is taken by Don War character anyway, uh, it's him doing his most relatable song ever, or whatever it is. And you think, well, that's clearly not his style anyway, and he's just trying to be loved.
3: Yeah, it just didn't click. And all, also, I was trying to figure out if it was supposed to be funny. Because there was a lot of kind of stuff you feel like could go either way. It was very kind of on the edge. Like their like like their musical performance was like were kind of and the 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 weird things they were doing because they weren't using like conventional instruments and stuff. So they'd be just doing weird, strange noises and that kind of stuff. And I and I just couldn't figure out if I was supposed to be laughing at this or smiling inwardly or thinking these guys are just crackers and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it was quite quite a brave film in that you know they were quite happy to make the characters not fantastically likable for the most part. In terms of the sort of tonal thing with it, I, what I found really the film that came to mind, and it's not one that would immediately come to mind for most people, when we see him at the end and he's clearly a damaged individual, it reminded me of the bit of Shaun of the Dead where he suddenly has to shoot his mum, mm. and you've been laughing laugh, you've been laughing all the way through, and it's like oh shit. <laughs> What's just happened to the tone of this film all of a sudden? And I felt like that a little bit about this. And whilst that gives the film something to say, mm. it certainly muddies the water as to whether it's a comedy or not.
3: Yeah, I didn't because I, I didn't feel like there was there was that much of a tonal change. Like, I mean, it's, since then, I mean, I ended up googling it halfway through to figure out what I was watching, kind of thing. <laughs> like, is this? Yeah, you know, am I watching the right film for a start? And and that kind of stuff. And it was and it was saying, oh, it's a comedy drama. And like, the, the a lot of reviews were very positive for it, but it got a lot of criticism for being funny for two thirds, and the last third was depressing. And I thought, I'm not feeling that kind of joy de vivre kind of vibe at the start. Like, you didn't feel the joy. Yeah, so I wasn't. I wasn't like, feeling... I was gonna
2: say, I think the whole movie had an undertone of depressing. Yeah, to it be just, honest. it
3: just felt grim. From you know, from the the guy. Was it the the, the the previous keyboard player who, who you first see freaking out in the ocean and being? Um, I can't remember if he's being grabbed by ambulance men or police or whatever. It's and it's like and I was generally just kind of like, I'm not sure if this is supposed to be funny or not because um, I was assuming it was because it's because it's Frank or well, ostensibly it's it's Frank Sidebottom. So I was kind of going through it going well this isn't this isn't. It's not, I was kind of coming out from like I don't get why this is called Frank, and I don't get why he's wearing the the head, because it's not about him. It's not about the real guy, you know. It's not about like Chris Sivey, I think his name is, um, and it's not. And it's not like a Mr. Bean movie, so it's not Frank Sidebottom as a character within the story. So it's not like a. It's not like that kind of a comedy. So I, was, I just couldn't figure it out. It's just one of those films where you watch and you go, "I don't understand why they made this."
1: Well, I mean, it was a Sundance film, so it, it's got a touch of the experimental about it. Full stop. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the, the opening scene of the film with the with the sort of uh, keyboard player in the ocean. I thought that was setting us up for a Spinal Tap joke. You know, where their drummers keep dying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, obviously not. Anyway, that's uh, that's Frank. Thank you to Zach Lockwood for uh, <laughs> referencing that, um, and that was our first picked flick tonight. So now, yeah, we move on to our sort of our close-up section, if you like. This is. Uh, what we're going to talk tonight is about... talking about Spinal Tap was actually quite apt because just to talk a little bit about films about music, really, more than anything else. Not to be confused with musicals, necessarily, although there's some crossover. And the films that always spring to mind for me are the aforementioned Spinal Tap because that that is about the sort of uh, absurdities of sort of hard rock and life on the road and image and all the rest of it. Uh, the other films that have occurred to me are um, The Blues Brothers. Because as much as that's a musical, it is, it is about them sort of going on their musical journey, putting the band back together. And then I guess the third one I, I would always name is, is High Fidelity, because High Fidelity for me is 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 a man's experience in life filtered through his experience of music and, and the soundtrack to his life. What are the films that sort of spring to mind for you guys? Lee?
3: Yeah, I'm not a big music-y uh, film guy, but like say like the the one that... I, I like the commitments I'm a big fan of the blues brothers like you just mentioned was a massive film for me in my teens spinal tap not so much it's it's I kind of missed that my spinal tap was the comic strip presents bad news that was kind of my spinal tap in a way yeah
1: bad news was that was that the comic strip one
3: yeah that was the comic strip one yeah
1: yeah by the time i got to spinal tap its hope was its high, hype was all pervasive it kind of took yeah. to maybe its third viewing to to really actually divorce myself from that and just enjoy it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Stacey, are there any films you, you that you sort of th- think of in this subgenre?
2: Um Well, the three movies I wrote down were Blues Brothers, Spinal Tap and High Fidelity, so you kind of ruined that for me. And then I said um, all three of them. Yeah, yeah. What a gracious um, host that I had. <laughs> but the, the other one that I toyed with for a little bit was um, Wayne's World 2. Um, simply because that film is ridiculous and it has an amazing soundtrack and it's kind of about music, sort of this was hard (laughs) because there's a lot of films that have musical elements but aren't necessarily about music the only other film I can think of is Gemma and the Holograms and that was absolutely awful and I really wished I could gouge my own eyes over the rusty spoon while I was watching it but... um,
1: it's funny because we were given in preparing for this, we were we were all pointed to an NME article on on fifty awesome music movies, and some of the choices in there were mad. I mean, Ferris Bueller is, is that really about yeah. music in any way, shape, or form?
2: I suppose another one is almost famous. That's really good. That's oh, worth that's
1: it. a really good call. Yeah, that is a really good call because that that is about experiencing that era and that era's music mm. more than it's in any way a musical. But yeah, I just thought some of the, the choices were really, we really, really, really strange. We did go out on Twitter for some sort of feedback on, on the sort of uh, music films that, that mean a lot to people. Uh, Rodney Twelfth Tree, uh, at Fernby on Twitter, he suggested uh, recently straight out of Compton, which I've still not seen.
2: Meaning
1: uh, no. All time, he, suge- he said, this is Spinal Tap, and he says, almost famous comes in third. Good call, and one I'd actually forgotten. Andrew Brooker, at Brooker 411, uh, uh frequent guest on this show. Uh, he's put kill your friends Owen oh, State straight out of Compton Now I've not heard of kill your friends what? So he might be giving us advice Do you think he's actually naming a film Or just telling us to kill our friends And buy the way, <laughs> <and> buy <laughs> just the way a straight random out of Compton yeah, yeah. uh, Matt Latham uh, At X and Matt uh, Wayne's World 2 So he agrees with you I've not seen Wayne's World 2 I've only seen the, the first one But I know it's. Um, he's trying to set up a music festival Isn't it Waynestock? Yeah. Stock yeah, yeah, okay. It's
2: bananas. Uh, um, it's typical wine's world bananas. Yeah.
1: <laughs> all right. Lee Scovell at Pork Chop Express, almost famous all day every day. <laughs> Again, I'm assuming he means the film and not that he's almost famous all day every day. <laughs> Phil Sharman at PE Sharman. Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh, good call. Cool. And this is Spinal Tap. And actually, just uh, before we go any further, there are probably a good couple of ones to think of. Singles always. Sp- sort of slips by me because it wasn't notably successful but given my age that's actually my sort of era the, the, the sort of the grunge era i was in my teens when that happened so, uh and it did have uh, quite a lot of cameos from seattle bands with that early 90s look you had like members of pearl jam in that their their screen band was called citizen dick um scott pilgrim versus the world i'm less sure about that would you agree that's about music i've only seen it the once
2: I don't think it's necessarily about music So much as it just features some really Cracking musical scenes I guess
1: Because I mean a good soundtrack by itself Wouldn't count otherwise all Tarantino Films are about music Good point I suppose but uh, I to be honest I haven't seen Scott Pilgrim Since release which has got to be about six years now So <sighs> uh, 365 Flicks podcast At 365 pods on Twitter I know this is probably the most recent but for me It's straight out of Compton Lee have you seen straight out of Compton no, you haven't either. So that's all three of us haven't seen it. So we can really <laughs> well. That's that's, that's yeah. Good, so isn't we, we could make some shit. out It's good, isn't it? Uh, Emma Platt at Dead Me Emma, uh, regular co- uh, host of this show. She says, "Does Empire Records count?" Yes, of course it counts. <laughs> Empire Records is a really good shout, actually, Emma. Uh, Owen Hughes uh, at O oh Hughes eighty six. He's put twenty four hour party people. Plastic face counts. Smile the white out. Which is a reference I've missed, even though I've seen the film. Have you seen 24-hour party, people? I've seen it for a few years.
2: No, never seen it.
1: It's really good. It's worth seeing because uh, Alan, Part- Alan Partridge, that shows how much he's become his character. Steve Coogan plays Tony <laughs> Wilson in it. This is about the sort of Manchester music scene, and he, and he plays it a little bit Partridge-like. It's, it's really good. Mm. Kevin White at Weak Lemon Drink, uh, Control. And does Frank count his put? Well, as we've just talked about it, Frank counts. Control's a really good shout. That's the, uh, that's the, uh, film about Joy Division. So yeah, good shout. And, uh, um, and then we've got Maya Brooker at Maya Brooker. She Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter.
0: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
1: He's put Emma, uh, uh, Empire Records. Love that film. Have either of you seen Empire Records?
2: No. Oh. I've never seen anything. That's the thing that, if you listen to my podcast, you'd realise that I'm almost constantly asking the question, Have you seen this? with no.
1: <laughs> All right, fair enough. And <laughs> okay. um, one from Facebook, Sean Wilson says, Almost famous. So, yeah, Almost famous, very, very popular on that list. Uh, quite a lot for Straight Out Compton, a few for Empire Records. And this is Spinal Tap. But um, as I think we've kind of exhausted your list, Stacey, are there any others you'd like to mention, Lee?
3: No, that's, yeah, like I say, I mean, Josie and the Pussycats, I definitely want to mention. How the Duck, clearly, you know, a, uh, a an underestimated genius film that's all about kind of.
1: The film off. that taught us guitarists can get laid into whatever <laughs> species they are.
3: Yeah. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I like music. Music films aren't really my kind of forte, particularly. Um, but the ones I go for, like, you know, like the, the Blues Brothers are the ones I go. The Blues Brothers was the one that kind of introduced me to, the, to to soul and blues music when I was a teenager. So that was like a gateway movie there, really, for me. Uh, particularly John Lee Hooker, who appears. He's actually the only blues artist in the Blues Brothers. The rest are all soul artists. Um, but yeah, that, that, was, um, that I was... Some bigoted. wonderful
1: performances in it, though, from people at, at or near their peak. You, know, you couldn't make that film now, but there's some really strange things in, in the list. As I say, the likes of Ferris Bueller, which I just find very, very strange. Pulp Fiction's listed in the list, and I think well, that, that's not about music. It's just got a really good score.
3: Well, that's yeah, it's uh, a or a really thing good, a good soundtrack, soundtrack
1: rather than score. But yeah, interesting topic. Quite a um, quite a difficult sort of genre to to nail down. Really good for me. Good music doesn't make it. It's about the characters and their experiences with yeah. music, which is what makes High Fidelity such an interesting film. Anyway, so that's uh, Movies About Music. We're going to move on now and pick another flick. Four Rooms is a 1995 anthology comedy film directed by Alison Anders, Alexander Rockwell, Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino. Each directing one segment of the film that is in its entirety, entirety loosely based on the adult short write- fiction writings of Roald Dahl. How? I'm not sure. Especially Man from the South, which is the basis for the last segment, Penthouse uh, The Man from Hollywood, directed Ben Tarantino. The story is set in the fictional Hotel Monsignor in Los Angeles on New Year's Eve. Tim Roth plays Ted, the Hotel Bellhop, and main character in The Frame Story whose first night on the job consists of four very different encounters with various hotel guests. Uh, The film is set on New Year's Eve and starts with Sam, Mark Lawrence, the previous bellhopper, the Hotel Monsignor, briefing his replacement Ted, Tim Roth, about the job. Here's a clip.
3: Now, take a look at some of these goodies you brought us, okay?
4: Um, Far be it it from me, uh, Chester, but I was just wondering if you could uh, tell me. What is all that stuff for? Hey, one thing at a time, man. I'm not a frog and you're not a bunny, so let's not jump ahead. (laughs) Very good, sir.
3: Norman, 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 come on, come on. I think you might want to look at some of this shit. Hey, damn Skippy. All right, man. (laughs) All right, man,
4: tell it. A block of wood. Continue. Three nails.
3: Why three nails? That's how many Peter Loray asked for. Continue, Ted.
1: A ball of twine.
4: Well, that is definitely a ball of twine. Continue. A bucket of ice. You into it? I'm into it. A rag right, on. A donut. That's for me. Mm.
1: A club sandwich.
4: That is mine.
1: And A hatchet as sharp as the devil himself is what I asked for. Well, sir, Chester,
3: you be the judge. No, 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 no. I'll be the judge. Careful, sir? What do you think? It's a sharp motherfucker. <laughs> Get the nails into twine, bring all this other bullshit over to the bar. Come on. Let's go, Brano, man. You heard him, Chester. Go ahead. Right you us, yes. sir. No.
1: Yeah. So yes, this film was uh, nominated by Pop Culture Rewind which is at Pop Culture Rewind on Twitter so Pop Culture and then RWND uh, if you want to find them on Twitter they nominated this Um, so I'm going to kick us off with uh, I'm going to postulate Lee, four rooms is shit, discuss
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah it is, I actually wondered if I'd upset Stacey in some way. After she asked me to, to to watch these, I thought, "What have I done?" You know, to, to <laughs> make a hate. Uh, I came
1: on for Masters of the Universe and Zardos, so <laughs> <laughs> but, you don't get any sympathy off me. You've got to you've got to wade through some right shit before you get any sympathy <laughs> from see, me. Having said that, you are off to a cracking start with this one.
3: yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I'd never seen it until um, this week. And I'm a huge fan of Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino, yet it had, I've not seen it before, which kind of makes me look back and think, well, I wonder why not. So it, it's obviously got some kind of rep to it that I've avoided it. Because I also like anthology movies as well. That's the other thing. Yeah, so I watched it, and there, there was, there's two good things about it, right? The first was the, the animated title sequence. I'm a sucker for an animated title sequence. And the second good thing I liked about it was literally the almost the last shot of the film, which is the punchline to Tarantino's segment. The the, the the riff on the the roll doll story.
1: Did you say the last line?
3: Yeah, pretty much the the last scene, the last section, almost the last oh, line. I see. Like the the punchline. What was the last line? Well, it was just the, the punchline to it was the 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 doll story is about a guy who creates a bet that he can. You flick his lighter ten times; and it'll light ten times. If he if he does it, he wins a guy's car. If he, if he if it fails to light any of those ten times, he gets his finger chopped off. Now, in the original story, which was also adapted for TV, they mention it in the segment. It was adapted for Alfred Hitchcock Presents in the States, and it was also adapted for Tales of the Unexpected in the UK over here. And I've seen that version. It's a very very tense story, and it goes through each of these flicks are the are the lighter and it gets more and more tense each time so if you know that story then you come to the the four rooms version tarantino version and what happens is very very quickly it does the first flick it fails and ted chops his finger off and then the the credits roll so it's it's boom done and finished and you're almost shoved at the at the theater now i like that that made me laugh because it just said, oh, uh, no, fuck that, and just just carried straight on. Those are the two, so virtually the first thing and the last thing of the film I liked. Everything in between, I thought was pretty awful.
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, uh, my normal gig is a Bond podcast, where it is at the moment, we'll, we'll talk about all our podcasts and different things at the end, but um, the moment you show me an animated sequence, I think of the 1967 Casino Royale. <laughs> Which is one of the first, one of the worst notable films I can think of. Yeah. It's a complete mess. But then you think, well, maybe I'll get a Pink Panther film. This will be all right.
3: Yeah, it's the it's the it's so, the Pink Panther vibe for me. That that it, that it, that it works.
1: But, you but, are um, right to say the film came with something of a reputation because I, I do remember the sort of rise of Quentin Tarantino, if you like, and it was a there was a point where everything he did had a degree of hype behind it so people mm. would go off and see him act in destiny turns on the radio because it's tarantino yeah. uh, but this film arrived stillborn i mean the word of mouth on it was toxic we're only a year after pulp fiction um, yeah. you know there are four names there you know so if you don't like one of them you might like one of the others um, mm. and i'll let listeners go and sort of look up their filmography but there are people responsible for some very good films there the thing that first struck me about the film is I've never seen Tim Roth act worse in anything. Oh, scenery chewing! I, I don't think he's particularly well suited to comedy. No. Uh, no. It's really scenery chewing. And the other thing, before I hand off to Stacey, is I thought the film looks absurdly dated for mid nineties. Now some do. You go and watch. You go and watch um, Dracula or The Crow or anything like that, and they look resolutely early and mid-90s, respectively. But this film just looks... It looks so old and cheap. Stacey, what did you make of it? Um
2: I think this movie is a steaming bag of smelly, cheesy dick tips. It's possibly the worst thing I've ever put in my eyes. And I've put a lot of terrible movies in my eyes.
1: Have you ever put dick tips in your eyes, on, Stacey? <laughs> that's, that's the question we're all always...
2: <laughs> Well, that's what I've got the glasses for, you see, to avoid all of that. Um... <laughs> <laughs> the, the the thing about this movie is...
1: Do you practice safe sex? Yes, I put my goggles
2: <laughs> They're like protective goggles. Um,
1: Health
3: and safety.
2: <laughs> the thing about me is I'm not good yes. with anthologies anyway because I, I feel like anthologies are over too quickly. I don't get chance to... Get into the thing and get my teeth into a thing. So I was already a bit trepidatious about this movie, and then that soundtrack started playing, and I wanted to jab my own eardrums out. And then Madonna the appeared. Score for this film's It's awful. terrible. And then yeah. Madonna appeared, and I was mm. like, "Are you fucking kidding me, movie? What? What are you? Di- what? Why?" And then I got so cross through the movie that I actually spent ten pound ordering takeaway cake just to cheer myself up. <laughs>
3: Yeah. yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I nearly quit halfway through.
1: Well, to be fair, it, that doesn't help. The first two stories are probably the worst. I mean, I, none of it's none of it's great. I mean, we'll get into mm. the, the various sections in a minute, but I mean, it starts with I think the worst of the four stories.
3: Yeah.
1: It, it's just a complete mess. Uh, none of the women can act in it. Uh, hmm. We've already established Tim Roth is terrible in this film. It's not funny. It's not interesting. A couple of them go topless, so you think, well, maybe it's meant to be sexy, but it's not no. that.
3: So either all should be topless or none of them should be topless. So That's from... the
1: thing as well. You can see who's got what contract, can't you? Yeah,
3: it's, just, it's <laughs> clear <laughs> who's got the no- the nudity clause in their contracts.
1: And at the end, one of them's got, like, tape over their nipples. you just think, it's like, well, don't do it then. (laughs) There's no nudity clause. Don't go nude and then put tape on yourself. That doesn't happen. I could have done without the whole section, to be honest with you. And the other thing is, I mean, anyone who listens either to me on this show or any other podcast, like, I'm I'm no stranger to being quite lewd. But I have to say, I thought the whole trying to get some jizz storyline was astonishingly pointless and tasteless. Pretty
3: much. Yeah, it was so, and it didn't go anywhere as well. There was no twist. You know, it needs to have a twist. There was no twist. Like... It
1: ended up with Amanda de coming out of the water. Were, you know, I know.
3: How talk about dated? Yeah, Amanda de being in it. That really dated it. That was like holy crap. <laughs> you know. So
1: talk yeah. about resurrected. But it was It. it I mean was... they could have got some better quality spunk and maybe got Danny Bear out instead. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, not a very good section. Then we go on to the second section, which confused me all the more, to be quite oh. honest with you. You've got Jennifer Beals tied to a chair and her husband threatening and Tim Roth being accused of having had an affair with her. And yeah. Tim Roth goes into massive, massive overacting mode. Yeah. And, you know, a window and all the rest of it. What is the point of this I don't sequence? know.
2: And yeah. well, the, well, the thing that I wanted to ask was, because I didn't know whether I'd just like slipped into a coma and missed a bit, but... That that woman who's tied to a chair, um, she ends up in the end sequence, like with Quentin Tarantino and his buddies, doing the whole finger chop off thing situation. Like what? How? What? How? Why? How? Her? Huh? It is. There,
1: there is there is some drop dialogue to it. Like she's escaped or she's on on a break there or something. It's definitely the same woman. And as I say, it is dropped into the dialogue. Not overly memorable because I can't remember. <laughs> But that, that's the second sequence. Then we go on to the third sequence, and I just think, totally, what is this film? The first film was some women with their tits out and a story about sperm and witchcraft. And the third story is misbehaving children
2: and yeah. a dead corpse See, in a mattress. Kind of...
1: <coughs> yeah. That
3: apparently smells that of feet. Is... <laughs> Fetish for feet. That was really creepy. Because it's kids, they've in each other's feet and lots of close ups of kids' feet and stuff. Yeah, don't,
1: this isn't Quentin's sake sequence. Quentin directed the one that he's in at the end. This is Robert Rodriguez's section. Yeah, is, yeah, so I they... just think maybe they they've hired the they've they've hired the director of Desperado yes. and From Dust Till Dawn. Well he's about to do From Dust Till Dawn next, actually. And he's delivered them that in a sort of hybrid with one of his kids' films. Hmm. And none of it really works. And the big joke appears to be That the father, uh, uh, Antonio Banderas, is a real tough, no-nonsense guy. And when he comes back and they've destroyed the room, he barely notices. Mm. That's all that build-up (laughs) is Do you know what
2: disappointed me about this section? Is the fact that um, I was sort of live-tweeting my disdain for this movie as I was watching it. um, Because that was the only thing keeping me from committing suicide. And... um, A lot of people were saying, don't worry, the best section's coming up. The third one, the one with Antonio Banderas, that one's cracking. And I was thinking, oh, cool, something to look forward to. Yeah, and then it happened. And I was like, no, this is trash. What Are you all on something? like?" Yeah, that was...
3: The third one was the weakest one for me because it just...
2: Because those kids Um... are terrible.
1: Oh, I don't know. It's it's which aroma of turd do you want, really? (laughs) None of them are any good to this point. I still think the first one is the most amateurish, but yeah. none of them were particularly good.
3: And then, of at course, least, at least the third one, the, one had a punchline. Uh, you know, it had a yeah, the, 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 some shape to the so,
1: yeah. you know, it's really strange. You get these little bits in between that are just you know, remember the remember Sammy Jenkins bit of this film. You know, cuts to something seemingly unrelated. <laughs> And then we cut to the Penthouse se- sequence. Uh, the man from Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's playing a famous director, and he's got a group of hangers on, including, you know, actors, agents, and everything else. And they call Ted up to join them at the suite. This at least has a little bit more flair. The camera's constantly yeah. moving. And for such a dreadful actor, I, th- I thought Quentin Tarantino actually suits this fairly well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He- Admittedly, he's playing a director, not much <laughs> of a stretch, but. <laughs> He is so, so this section at least was passable
3: yeah it was watchable at least i think you could you could it it wasn't agonizing to get the 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 previous segments were really actually proper hard to sit through you know you kind of you know really are just ticking off the minutes going okay it's a 90 minute film how long is each segment let's get the <laughs> clock on it yeah. you
1: know so, you you can see what they're thinking do you know what i mean that you know it's it it's um you know it's it's distributed by Miramax it's it's uh, Quentin Tarantino's production company A band apart mm. and you think well you know let's get the bright young things this new generation they're all producing really interesting work when you throw them together it'll be even more interesting yeah. and what you end up with is a mess and they seem very straight jacketed by the format They, tell, they don't what have any th- there's no idea there that's fun that's um organically developed no what you've got is the straight jacket of room in a hotel go yeah and it's almost like none of them really had any ideas what to do with it, but they've got to produce something.
3: Yeah, it felt like a vanity project to me, because, like say, this came after Pulp Fiction. It was almost like they went to Tarantino like, do what you like, and he just got his, his mates in. I mean, I don't know if he's, he's friends with, like, Alison Anderson and Alexander Rockwell. I mean, I know he's friends with Robert Rodriguez. But it just felt like a chummy um, film school type exercise. Like, there's, there's, apart from Tim Roth, uh, th- there's no real star to it. It's just a succession of cameos. Uh, like I say, as, as bad as Madonna is in it, she's literally in it for, like, 30 seconds. And everybody's just in it for 30 seconds. There's no...
1: You... Well, yeah. Uh, uh, Madonna won a <laughs> Razzie for Worst Supporting Actress. Now, Madonna is a dreadful actress, but did she do anything in this film? I mean, if you didn't recognise Madonna... Mm. Or I mean, she, you know she if you wouldn't know she was in it. If, yeah. I know that sounds silly but you would not recognize that character at all. No. Uh just to say it's critical reception it re- it re- it's got 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's too high. That's too uh, fucking
2: high. Who's that's doing a bit
1: that? too high. And it says, that most reviews agree the misbehaviors is the best oh. of the segments. Well, I, right. uh, No. Okay. I, that's the worst Tim Roth was praised by critics and audiences for his performance. As a Christmas ham. Did they think he had special needs? And they were like, it's well it's... done, Tim. I, I... Good
2: job, little buddy. I, I feel like I should like <laughs> actually Watt's describe not. my notes, because this movie was so bad I could barely write anything about it that was worth writing. And pretty much it says, section one, honeymoon suite. Ugh, Madonna. Then it says section two, the wrong man, crappy nonsense. Section three, the Misbehaviors, obnoxious kids, shit, when will this end? Then it says penthouse, eh. It yeah. <laughs> so pretty much sums up my entire thing about this movie. Directly underneath that it says, I hate this, I wish I wasn't watching it anymore.
1: <laughs> so so we're just grateful you nominated yeah, it. Yeah, thanks, Thank man. You. So before we go, let's uh, before we move on from from this film, let's quickly rank the segments. Then let's let's rank the different shades of shit. Which order would you put them in, Lee?
3: I think I think the Tarantino one was probably, and I hate to use the word best, Beast shit. Um, I think, yeah. <laughs> then probably something, probably the Wrong Man, maybe second, and then the Missing Ingredient, and then Misbehaviors. I thought was really just atrocious. It, it, mm. it get worse.
1: That was your worst one, so you put a in missing ingredient in But
3: really, just the whole, you know, just Tim Roth needs to be taken out and really just put in his own little segment because he was just...
1: Originally, it was meant to be Steve Buscemi in that role, and I cannot think he would have done any worse with it.
3: No, I'd have thought, I'd, have, I'd assumed he'd have been a bit more restrained. I'd, I thought they were yeah, clearly, I mean, they're going for like a chaplain thing, but I thought, it, you know, maybe Lee Evans was supposed <laughs> to be casting it you know, and I thought I could see Lee Evans carrying it off. But these but he's and like at the start, it starts off like he's supposed to be silent because he doesn't speak in the first scene. So you think, oh, they're doing the um, the, the Bellboy thing, the Jerry Lee. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Which they reference Which completely undermines when he does speak. Yeah. So- I've, I've got no I've got no dog in that game. I don't care if this film is silent or with sound. But they kind of hedged their bets and changed their mind. You felt, Yeah, didn't it, you,
3: it, didn't it, they? it just. I like the way his accent changes as well. Like half.
1: he uh, does when he's on the phone. To, yeah, he does when he's on the phone. At one point, he just suddenly goes back to like the Tim Roth we know.
3: Yeah, he's got. He does like, the posh really Eric Thomas. Strange. thing, and then he goes Cockney, um, and then he's got the weird walk and stuff. It's like I don't even get what they're going for. Uh, I don't know.
1: I would certainly give I would certainly give the sort of, I wouldn't even give it praise, but I, I think the man from Hollywood, the Quentin Tarantino sequence, at least looks like it was uh, directed by a professional. And for one of only a couple of times in his career, Quentin Tarantino was in the right role. Uh, the rest of them, I think, are, are rock bottom. I would certainly put the missing ingredient, the first one, the last. Uh, but, yeah, they're all pretty bad. So, uh, <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> pop, pop Culture Rewind. We're very, very grateful. So, once again, just before we sort of sign off, I'd like to thank Zach Lockwood at Lockwood 96 for his nomination of Frank and Pop Culture Rewind, that's at Pop Culture RWND for four rooms. Uh, everybody who commented on our movies about music section and uh, that only leads me to say Lee where can we find you on the internet? Uh, I'm on Twitter
3: far <laughs> too much at lovelylee uh, underscore g if you want to check out the archives of the podcast I used to do called Small Press Big Mouth you can find them at um, smallpressbigmouth.blogspot.com
1: and what was the gist of that podcast Lee what it, will people it's, find?
3: Uh, about small press and indie comics um, ah, so it's uh, it's okay. good.
1: Stacey, where can we find you on the internet, and where can we hear your bloody everywhere
2: like a rash on a cheap hooker? Um, I am at Stacey's Parlor on Twitter, and uh, you can find the podcast either on iTunes or at popcultureparlor.podbean.com. Um, I'm actually trying to promote at the moment the fact that I'm going to be doing a 24-hour live broadcast for charity in July. <laughs> I don't know why, it's going to be hard. <laughs> um, but come and listen to that and throw some money. Um, that'll be broadcast over Mixler, that's M-I-X-L-R dot com forward slash SPCP dash live. Uh, and that's on Saturday, July the 9th. So um, yeah, that'll be certainly a, a chronicling of my descent into madness.
3: But the pop called... Don't miss it, seriously, last <laughs> year's was epic.
2: It, I don't know if it was like, epic no. for all the right reasons, but it certainly was an experience <laughs> uh, but I'm trying to raise money for Alzheimer's Society so um, any donations and, and listens and downloads would be very much appreciated and um, yeah, the is basically about anything under this massive pop culture umbrella and I also do a podcast all about the Ninja Turtles because why not, called Podcast in a Half Shell and that's uh, at popcultureparlour.podbean.com as well
1: I did well to come back to concentrate on that rest of that conversation because you called yourself a cheap hooker and then said <laughs> Stacey's parlor. Do you know, you wouldn't believe no, the number just, of uh,
2: spam bots, sexy people I get following me on Twitter. Like, look at my tits! And I'm like, I don't want to! I don't want to! <laughs> my eyes.
3: Send them to me. I'm okay with that
1: kind of thing. I was going to say, send them to us. We'll sort them out. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, the thank you for both of you for joining us.
3: Well, thank you, Ami, and just, I want to you know, just say to the listeners, don't worry, we're from the Midlands, there's nothing wrong with your ears.
1: Well, there might be something wrong with your ears, and listening to uh, people from the Midlands won't change that. <laughs> <laughs> so that was Pick a Flick. You pick a flick, we talk about it. Simple as that. Good night, folks. Coca-Cola,
4: lipstick ring, go dance all night, dance all night. I've got that. No, they won't stop it dancing. Kiss me, just kiss me. Kiss me, nephrodite. Just the way you like it. Just the way you like it. Kiss me, kiss me. Lipstick, kiss me. Lipstick, ring That's the way you like
0: it. Selling a little or a lot?